In February 1944, in the midst of the mayhem of World War II and the Holocaust, the Belzer Rebbe, Rebbe Aaron of Belz, along with his brother of Matchav Bilgorai, they arrive in Eretz Yisrael. And this arrival, after they had lost their entire families and everything else that they had, laid the groundwork of the rebuilding of the Bells Hasidus, which everyone is familiar with today, and the rebuilding, which is uh, almost almost uh, miraculous, how much it has successfully rebuilt, was um, the groundwork for that was, was his arrival, their arrival in Eretz Yisrael, in the middle of that whole um, crazy... Uh, time. So the fact that he arrived and was able to get out became a matter of great discussion and controversy over the years, how he left, why he left, when he left, his brother of Matchav Bilgarai's speech explaining his leaving. So today... Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites podcast will discuss a little bit what Rav Matchav Bilgarai's speech was all about, explaining the Belzareb was leaving during that time. Belz Hasidus is one of the most prominent uh, Hasidus and communities in Poland before the war. Belz was a leading a Hasidic group in Galicia in southern Poland. The Belzarebbe was one of the undisputed religious leaders of uh, Jewish Poland before the war. He succeeded his father, the Rebbe Rabbi Yisachar Daiv, in 1926 upon his passing. And he is the leader of a large and uh, geographically spread out community of Belzer Hasidim and other people who looked up to him um, when the war breaks out. War breaks out, he is forced to leave Bells. He goes into hiding. The Nazis are specifically looking for him in the newspaper Der Stiermer. Um, the Nazi anti-Semitic newspaper uh, put out in Nuremberg by Julius Streicher. Um, has him and his picture on a front cover in one of their editions as one of the Jewish leaders who they're specifically targeting. There was others. They had the Ger Rebbe on it. They had the Alexander Rebbe, some of the most prominent leaders of Jewish Poland. He was specifically in danger. He goes into hiding. He's in Premishlan for a while, later in the Krakow area, and then in Krakow itself during the deportations. He's in, in more intensive hiding. He's later on in the Bachnia ghetto, and um, he goes through pretty much most of the years of the Holocaust in Poland, together with his Hasidim, who keep on desperately trying to hide him, first when he specifically is in danger, and later when all the deportations are taking place, um, they try to find him jobs in the ghettos, and he's there along with his brother, slowly but surely losing the various members of his family, losing his Hasidim, losing the communities that um, that he's amongst. And uh, it's already in middle of the war, in May in 1943, when in a daring escape he's able to get out of Poland, um, when almost the entire 
Polish Jewish community had already been wiped out, and he's able to cross the border and make it all the way to Hungary, um, where he gets to Budapest. So he he um, is in Budapest for the next eight months or so, and the only one who had been accompanying him and was able to still accompany him this whole time was his younger brother, Reb Mordechai of Bilgarai, who's the Rav in Bilgarai, which is a prominent town in uh, in southern Poland. Many, many famous people came from that town. The one that comes to mind is Isaac Beshevis Singer, um, the great uh, author, and um, who later on lived in New York. Um, he came from there, many other famous people. So the last Rav of Bilgarai was Ramotcha of Bilgarai, the Belzer Rebbe's younger brother. The Belzer Rebbe and is, is still in danger. The Gestapo, uh, through their Hungarian collaborators, are still looking for him. And even though the Jews of Hungary had not been deported, but um, the Belzer Rebbe himself is in danger. The, they try to get out of Hungary as well, and they try to move on to Eretz Yisrael. They have a lot of people involved in trying to help the Agudis Yisrael, despite the fact that Bells was not affiliated at the time with Agudis Yisrael. Um, they, they applied to the Jewish agency for a visa a certificate to the British mandate government itself. And in January 1944, the Bells Rebbe and his brother succeed in leaving Budapest, um, Hungary, and they arrive through a very... Uh, roundabout route to Eretz Yisrael a few weeks later. That's in January. Less than two months after he leaves, in March, after Hungary had been an island of tranquility, although there was plenty of anti-Semitism from the Hungarian fascist government and many Jews were sent to slave labor, but comparatively there was no deportations until this point to death camps and there were no ghettos either. So all that changes in March of 1944, the German army invades Hungary. And very shortly after, unfortunately, the terrible deportations of Hungarian Jews to Auschwitz begin in May. And for two months, there's very, very rapid and massive deportations of Hungarian Jewry. And less than two months later, by mid-July, about 50%, a little over 50% of Hungarian Jewry is killed in Auschwitz, one of the greatest massacres of the entire Holocaust a terrible decimation in such a short period of time. That's the chronological sequence of events. But what, we, what I want to focus on is the speech that Ramotcha of Bilgarai gave the day before um, they left. On January 16th, 1944, um, the day before he and his brother leave, Ramotcha of Bilgarai gives a speech, and it was understood by everyone who heard the speech, in one of the shuls in Budapest, that he's saying this speech in the name of his brother, the Rebbe. And it was a, it was a, a very Hasidic speech, a lot of Torah, a lot of Hasidus, and a lot of Chizuk, and also encouraging them to help the refugees from Poland, emphasizing that Polish Jewry had been wiped out and Hungary had yet, not yet been touched, and it's the duty and obligation of Hungarian Jewry to support and to try to help as many refugees that had arrived from Poland and uh, encouraging them in different ways. And amongst the reassurances that he gave, and again, understood in the name of his brother, the Rebbe at this time, was a assurance that nothing would happen to Hungary, that nothing would happen to Hungarian Jewry. And he 
said that his brother the Rebbe sees that, uh, that nothing is going to happen to Hungarian Jewry and they'll remain safe till the end of the war. Now, what was the exact language? It's hard to know. It was not recorded. It was written down and published shortly afterwards by people who had been there and took notes and wrote it down and it was circulated in different publications. But the exact wording is hard to know exactly. Was it a havtacha, a promise, uh, a guarantee that his brother the Belzerebbe was giving that no one in Hungary would be touched? And uh, in retrospect, it seemed to be a very, very tragic ending because that havtacha seemingly did not take place because Hungarian Jewry was decimated and wiped out uh, very shortly afterwards. A very unfortunate um, result of of this, if it was a haftacha, was it a bracha? Was it just a blessing that he was giving? Was it his wish? Was it his understanding of the reality at the time? And he did not know what would be the developments in the future? That's the big question, the question mark on the speech. And in, in the years after the war, there were four issues that people raised with the Belzarebbe and his brothers leaving along with this speech. Number one, the very fact that he left. There were people in, in certain circles who said, how could the Belzarebbe leave? How could he leave his people, his Hasidim behind? How, how would he do such a thing? That was issue number one that people raised. Issue number two was, how did he give a false promise? He promised them that nothing would happen to Hungarian Jewry, and look, look, look what happened. Something happened to Hungarian Jewry. They all got sent to Auschwitz to the gas chambers. So that was issue number two. Issue number three was Bells was an extremely anti-Zionist Hasidus in Poland before the war. And here he takes the Jewish agency certificate from the Zionists and he moves to Eretz Yisrael, the land of the Zionists, after he had discouraged people from moving beforehand, after there had been anti-the Zionist enterprise. And here he goes in order to save himself and this is a claim also used in certain circles against the act of the Belzerebbe. And the fourth one, which was a problematic occurrence that happened quite a few years after the war, in the 1960s, a couple of Belzer Hasidim who were very close with the Rebbe, the Rebbe himself uh, passed away in 1957. Um, and a couple of years later, a couple of his Hasidim put out a biography of his. And they brought the speech of his brother Ramadcha of Bilgarai, and they censored out the problematic part. They took out the part of his supposed havtocha, his supposed promise that everything would be all right for Hungarian Jewry, which obviously in, 19, in the 1960s, it was already many years after, and everyone knew that Hungarian Jewry was not so safe after all, and had been very much decimated and to a certain extent exterminated uh, very shortly after this this. Um, this speech had been said. So they simply uh, cut it out. They censored it out, and that raised an uproar. You see, they're trying to hide it. They're trying to revise history. They're trying to change the reality of the situation. And there you go. This goes ahead and, and proves all the points we're making all along. And those are the four issues that in certain circles, in the media and in other uh, circles, um, were raised about the the escape of the Belzerebbe from the Nazis. And then there's the answers that were given. Now, interestingly enough, the main, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of polemics about it in, 
in the media till today, but in Israeli society, and it was very politicized in those days, it still is in a certain extent, and, um, but also in academic circles. Um, one of the main Israeli academics who wrote about it and, and uh, quite extensively was Dr. Uh, Mendel uh, Pikaj, Pikaj, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his name, and uh, he raised a lot of the issues that I just mentioned, and he, much more, obviously, can't go into all the details, um, limited on, on time. But the one who um, answered um, in the most, uh, I guess, professional way and articulate way was a, is a, a very fascinating woman, um, a big Rebetzin, actually. Her, her husband is the Rosh Hashiva of the Chavon Yeshiva, Rebetzin Esther Farbstein. And she um, wrote her, her master's thesis at the Hebrew University on this topic. And it was a very clear answer back how to explain the Belzer Rebbe's behavior. And basically, the idea was, is that, and, and I'm adding from other sources as well, it's not everything that she said only, but um, just the general picture. Um, first of all, the Belzer Rebbe, uh, he went through it all. He, he he left Poland in May of 1943 and Hungary in January 1944. It's not like he he ran away. He was went through the ghettos. He was lost his whole family. He uh, he was there. He was hidden by his Hasidim, and they insisted on his being hi- hiding to a certain extent. He was taken uh, by his Hasidim, who insisted on saving him. Who they were the ones who arranged the visas. He was not the one who pushed it. They did everything they could to save the Rebbe. And of course, if we understand the world of Hasidus and the spiritual world of Hasidus and the idea of, of what the tzaddik represents and how important it is to save the tzaddik and how that would lay the basis of rebuilding the decimated and lost Hasidus after the war, which ultimately proved to be correct, all this was important for the Hasidim themselves and they were the ones who initiated the whole operation and, uh, and put it into place. And they were the ones who applied for the visas, uh, not only through the Jewish agency, but through the Agudis Yisrael, um, who had a certain allotment of visas from the Jewish agency. So it wasn't exactly like he was using the Zionists, but they were using the Agudis Yisrael's allotment of visas and certificates and, um, and uh, lobbying also the British government to be able to get him out to save him, and the destination would be Eretz Yisrael. So that's 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 uh, in the first in the first uh, in in, in as one point. In addition, he um, wasn't exactly leaving his Hasidim. Uh, in the beginning of the war, he was forced to leave Bells, and he was brought from one ghetto to the next. He was long ago distant from his town, from his Hasidim, from his people. He was already in Budapest for eight months. The Hungarian Jews in Budapest were not his Hasidim altogether. It was not his community. He was a refugee himself over there. He was not abandoning his community and his people and his responsibilities by leaving Budapest at that time. In addition, the idea that he gave a promise, is, which, is, which seemed to be the most problematic part of the speech, has to be understood in the context of the time. Was there any other Jewish leader, religious or secular, Hasidic or Zionist or any other stripe that in January of 1944 
when Hungary for four years of the war had already been an island of tranquility and there were no deportations and it didn't seem as if the Germans would ever invade Hungary. Why should they? Hungary is their ally. They're not going to invade an ally. In, in the context of the time, no leader was saying that you should all escape. No leader was warning of an impending danger. No leader was saying that Hungary is a dangerous place. You better be, be worried that you might be deported soon to Auschwitz. No one was saying that. And then any expectation that one should have that the Belzareba should have said that is absolutely ludicrous. Because no one was expecting what happened in March two months later, that all of a sudden the Germans invaded, which the reasons for it are not for the context of this podcast. But it happened. But no one could imagine, and no one could see that on the horizon. So for something of that time, for the context of his time, it made sense to look at Hungary as an island of tranquility, as a place where nothing would happen. And therefore, there was no reasonable assumption for the Belzareba to think that there would, it would change. And therefore, this reassurance made perfect sense at the time. The reason he had to leave was, like I said, he was in personal danger from the Gestapo. He also felt that it was time for him to move on to Eretz Yisrael, to daven better, to work better, to try to rebuild the Hasidus, to try to help Klai Yisrael in a more spiritual atmosphere, which is what his brother also explained in the speech of Eretz Yisrael, the holiness of the land. And he definitely did not feel like he was running away because he saw an impending doom to the Hungarian Jewry and he wanted to reassure them. It would be absolutely ridiculous to assume that he's trying to fool Hungarian Jews while he himself runs away. And it would be absolutely foolish to uh, ascribe such, such, uh, such, uh, such uh, uh, ridiculous behavior to someone of the holiness and leadership and, uh, and, 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 and Kedusha and, uh, of the Belzareba. So, in addition, the, it has to be understood that, uh, that in retrospect, when, uh, when, when, when one saw what happened to Hungarian Jews subsequently when the Nazis did invade and started sending them to Auschwitz, so then all of a sudden Hungarian Jewry is decimated. And then in the politically charged and emotional and traumatic atmosphere of the post-war era in the early 1960s, when the Hasidim are printing this, this book, and now if they print those lines, look what it looks like for their Rebbe. Look, he assumed that everything would stay the same. And he tried to reassure them. And so tragically, it, things turned out differently. It was very hard for them. They didn't want it to, to be, you know, to be so emphasized at the time how mistaken the Rebbe's vision was. And they also didn't want to raise the, the open wounds of how tragically it turned out, even though everyone assumed at the time it would be okay but it eventually did not turn out okay. So in that atmosphere of the 1960s, they didn't see any other solution rather than take out those lines, which perhaps may have been a mistake or not, but it's an understandable uh, reaction of the ones writing the biography. Now, interestingly enough, in academic circles, uh, her Esther Farbstein's uh, thesis was accepted, and um, it's definitely much quieter than it used to be, the, the whole dispute in those circles. And in many circles, the, the nuances and the complexities of life at the time, especially when we understand that we see things in, in, in uh, 2020 hindsight, but at the time, things may have been more complex when they were dealing with in real time. 
However, in the media, they still like making an issue out of it. So in one area of society, which is called the media, they still uh, have not accepted the theory, which is also not surprising. And But perhaps more surprising is the fact that in another area, they don't really accept uh, this theory, is that it's in, in parts of Bells itself, they don't accept it. Because according to Esther Farbstein, that means that the Belzer Rebbe did not see the invasion with Ruach HaKadosh, and he wasn't able to. And how could you say that the Belzer Rebbe did not have Ruach HaKadosh? He obviously was able to see the future. So here you have a major dilemma of a believing chassid. Do you ascribe Ruach HaKadosh to the, to the Belzer Rebbe and then say that he saw the invasion, but yet still made this avtacha? And then it's, that's that problem. Or do you say, what do you want from him? He didn't see the invasion. And he wasn't making any haftach, he was only using the information that he had at the time. But then what you're also saying is that he did not have Ruach HaKadosh to be able to see the future invasion. So that's a very good, big, big issue, and I don't have a solution for that. But that's, that's, a, that's an issue that a, a believing chassid will have to deal with. Um, in addition, I, I would add is that the idea that the Rebbe's ran away in, in, uh, in, in the, the ones that may be famous, famously ran away is only because they're the ones who survived and rebuilt their Hasidus, so we know that they ran away. But if we look at the statistics, we'll know that the overwhelming majority of Rebbe's, Rabbanim, and Gedele Yisrael did not run away. And some of the most prominent Rebbe's were actually killed by the Nazis, even though they had the opportunity to run away. So the idea that it was a, a recurring fact that Rebbe's ran away is absolutely an also incorrect uh, assumption. The Alexander Rebbe, the Radomska Rebbe, the Karlina Rebbe, Sachachov Rebbe, it could go on and on and on and on, just of the Rebbe's of Poland who stayed and were there to the end with their Hasidim. And the ones who did did under very specific circumstances, like I described with the Belzer Rebbe, and each one is in a story in itself. This was Yehudi Geber with uh, Jewish History Soundbites. Um, you can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources. You can also get onto our new uh, WhatsApp group of Jewish History Soundbites. If you'd like to join, send me an email and I'll send you the invite link. You can also follow Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Don't miss an episode of the podcast. You can also follow Jewish History Soundbites on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.